to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion. Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to To Everything is Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Brian King. Tonight, we're very pleased to begin our second ever Reformation Day episode, which means we've yes. been doing this officially for a year now, which is hard to believe. It, it is hard to believe. 52 episodes. I think we missed one between Christmas and New Year. Took a, took a little bit of a break, but so this is like our 52nd episode yep okay yep pretty crazy yeah it is it is um and and thank you for <laughs> devoting a year of a life to this will but, uh, <laughs> thank you i've really enjoyed doing it and it's good. been a lot of fun and hopefully people have benefited from it i hope so but, too you know we're, we're, as i've said many times we're not that entertaining <laughs> but <laughs> but we try to use a lot of god's word and, and talk about topics and concepts that are helpful to people's life of faith Right. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I like how we chose to structure this. So as everyone knows, we're kind of going along with readings from the, the lectionary and there's so much in there to discuss that uh, having to repeat all the same readings or themes, at least every year, gives you a chance to, you know, pick one aspect and kind of hone in on it. It doesn't make you feel like you have to cover everything about that text in a single episode. And so uh, I look forward to revisiting some of the same themes we we uh, we talked about last year in a, in a new light or considering yeah. it in a different way. Like tonight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, tonight we're going to focus on the epistle reading for uh, Reformation Day. And uh, we really want to consider the themes of justification and righteousness as we read this text. Um, obviously, uh, doctrine of justification was one of the biggest sticking points in the Reformation, yeah. and one of the most important doctrines that we hold dear uh, for us Lutherans. Well, we even say that it is the doctrine by which the church stands or falls. Right. That without this doctrine properly held, you no longer have the Christian faith. Right. That's how big it is. And, and as we go through this evening, hopefully that'll make a bit more sense and you'll begin to understand why we place such an incredible emphasis on this doctrine of justification. Indeed. Great. Okay. Shall we jump into the reading? Sure. Romans 3, 19 to 28. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short to the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, 
so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Great. Thank you, Pastor. You're welcome. So it's evident to me why this was chosen for Reformation Day. Obviously, a clear proclamation of uh, justification apart from works, which is one of the things that Martin Luther was uh, really contending for in the Reformation. Right. Verse 28 just nails it, just hammers it right home. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Justified be, means, it, think about a courtroom, you're declared not guilty. Right. You're declared innocent. Right. And this is one of the things that uh, Luther was contending with in the medieval Roman Catholic Church. It was this sort of what we call works righteousness, trying to tie your own merits and works uh, somehow to your justification or tie it to your salvation, right? Yeah. And then so we can say that there's really only two religions in the world. There's one where you're saved by grace through faith in Christ, and the other is a religion of works. Right. And if you look at pretty much any other religion or all the religions of the world, they're all about what you do to either uh, obtain peace or merit some deity's favor or obtain heaven. It's all it's all on you. Right. And Christianity is the only one where God does it. Right. And even in the history of Christianity, it seems there's an obvious temptation to kind of return to that sort of works righteousness. Because it was interesting, as... Uh, as our listeners know, we usually try to bring in some reading from the church fathers or some external source, uh, extra biblical source, as we do these devotions. And um, as we were going through the church fathers, early church fathers on this point, um, there was a wide variety of interpretations of this section. So there seemed to be a temptation uh, to believe that verse 21 and following only apply to the Mosaic law and not like the broader natural or moral law, as we might say. And it seems to me that stems from a temptation of wanting to divorce obedience to the law from our own justification. And that was already coming out in some of the early church fathers, it seems. Yeah, if you can, if you can lower the bar or change it or something, then maybe you have a chance, mm-hmm. right? And is that right. kind of where you're... There is this in us, a desire to fix it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think they're reacting against an idea that um, like somehow our personal righteousness is totally divorced from from our salvation. Because perhaps um, that leads people to believe in some sort of like antinomianism or something like that. This idea that um, after we're justified, our works are totally irrelevant to the Christian walk. Right. And right. you use, use the term antinomianism, which means against the law, basically, mm-hmm. or, or against law, not against mm-hmm. the law, against law. So here, and, and this is the argument that's leveled at, at us Lutherans. Oh, well, it doesn't matter what you do because you're saved by Christ. Right. So, okay. Well, it does matter because sin always separates. And my line is the same Holy Spirit who calls you to faith continues to work in your heart to help you lead a life that's, you know, a little more Mm God-pleasing, less injurious to your neighbor, 
and less injurious to yourself. Right. That doesn't save you. It's 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 a byproduct of having saving faith. That's right. And that, that's such an important thing to understand because I think that's ultimately what was motivating the church fathers to interpret these verses in, in this way. And I, I should say there's a wide variety of opinions on this. And um, like some church fathers seem to get a little bit closer to the truth than others. So we always point to like uh, Augustine as one who got the grace thing pretty much right and the justification thing, right? Yeah. One of the clearest early examples of what we might call a Lutheran understanding of justification and righteousness. Yeah, and that, this it's kind of interesting if you if you could have a a way to look at all of history, or have a, a some way to measure theological integrity or or correctness. It it seems though that the early church had a you know from Paul and the apostles their their theology was really good, and then that continued for a while. Then it sort of dropped it, but then you get these up and downs, ups and downs, where sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not, and then some people you think have good theology, then they say something you think. Where'd that come from? Right. You know, so right. it's 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 not all clear cut. And this is why it's so important for us to hold on to big things like the doctrine by which the church stands or falls. Yeah. 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 So in talking about some of the motivation for not wanting to accept this idea that our works are totally divorced from our, our justification, let, let's kind of unpack that a bit. Because I think... Um, what is really motivating the church fathers is this idea that the Bible does contain a lot of commands. There's a lot of things that we're supposed to do, right? It yes. gives a lot of instructions for godly living. Yep. And um, there are some sections in scripture that, uh, you know, talk about people who uh, observe these certain laws as inheriting the kingdom of heaven, certain like, things like this. So it's, it's, in some ways, it's easy to see uh, how oh. they kind of got this wrong, right? Right. Our good works are are a sign that we have faith. So, and and of course, if our works, if our works as Christian people bring God glory and help our neighbor, well, then they're really important, right? At no time, you know, well, like Jesus said to the woman, "I, you know, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more." Mm-hmm. He didn't say, well, go do what you want to because forgiveness is there. He didn't say that. Right. It does make a difference how we live. It just doesn't save us. Right. That, right. And that's a, that's a hard thing that we keep talking about over and over again because so many Christian people have it wrong. Yes. And I think a lot of that confusion comes from a misunderstanding between what we might call imputed righteousness and like some sort of inherent righteousness. So, like, in some sense, it is righteousness that gets you into heaven. Uh, everyone would agree on that. It's it's yeah. just whose righteousness you're talking about, right? Right. So, if we talk about imputed, I can define it. You can define it. Um, yeah, sure. I, yeah, imputed righteousness is uh, this idea that Christ's righteousness is credited to us such that our sins don't count against us. Right. And inherent an inherent righteousness would be would be like a lack of sinfulness. Right. So like, like there's something something good in me. Exactly. So we, we make the distinction because even though in this life Christians have imputed righteousness, 
Uh, Christ's righteousness is credited to us and our sins don't count against us. We still sin, right? Yes. So even though Christ's righteousness is credited to us, there is still some sort of sin in us. um, And that's where we're lacking the sort of inherent righteousness in this life. Right. And we are, and we do. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to bear in mind the fact that our righteousness is a declared righteousness. Yes. It's a stated righteousness. It's it's the judge's gavel coming down and saying, hey, you got off. You're scot-free. You're innocent. You're not guilty. Right. Right. And, 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 and you know, the same way the judge's gavel might have come down and said, said not guilty when someone was, you know, they find out later guilty as could be. But in the court's eyes, he's not guilty. Right. And when God declares something to be, then that's the reality. Exactly. And that's why this distinction is so important, because I think the medieval Roman Catholic Church um, didn't see that distinction. There was no distinction between uh, imputed righteousness and inherent righteousness. And so if you don't make that distinction, um, it's impossible to separate your own works from your salvation, right? Because it might be the case that God infuses you with this sort of righteousness, but if you don't make that distinction, then a sort of inherent righteousness comes along with that. And an expectation of true sinlessness uh, comes along with that. And that that is a big problem in Christianity. Um, in some of our churches where people are taught that if they can get more sin out of their life, then God will bless them in a certain way. Mm-hmm. This has led to great despair among many Christian people because we can't get that sin out of our life. We still sin daily and much. Right. And to say, well, no, if you, if you were a better Christian, then you'd, you'd get a certain gift or a blessing or a, a spiritual ability or more money or whatever. Right. And this still goes on today. I mean, I talk to people all the time and yeah, I was taught that or I was shown that. Yep. And it's in some ways it's really difficult to just kind of rest in the peace of the imputed righteousness and, and kind of forget about the inherent righteousness as far as your justification is concerned. Because um, we there, there seems to be something in us that uh, makes us always point back to our own merit when it comes to salvation. That's a real temptation, it seems. And, it and not is. only do you see that in the, the medieval Catholic church, but as I was saying, I think it's creeping up here in the early church fathers as well. You know? It, it's there, and they kind of speak that way and, and, and start to use language, which makes you question what they're actually believing. Mm-hmm. So the idea of our standing before God as being a gift and being declared is where we need to rest our hat. Yes. That it's, it's declared. We are, we are, Christ's righteousness is given to us as a gift. Yes, exactly. And so um, I thought maybe I could read a section from, from Gerhard. Uh, I think it's really appropriate appropriate to read Johann Gerhard uh, during our Reformation Day episode. Um, it's really interesting. So his uh, Theological Commonplaces, one of his main theological works, uh, is primarily against a certain uh, member of the Roman Catholic Church who was a counter-reformer. Um, the, the Jesuit order was kind of had this job of stamping out the Reformation and correcting some of what Rome perceived to be the theological errors of Martin Luther. 
Isn't that what brought about the Jesuit order? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. yeah it was their primarily. That was their job. They're, that was their job. Get rid of those Lutherans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so there's one uh, counter-reformer in particular named Bellarmine, who uh, was this big figure during the, the time of the Reformation and leveled a lot of uh, academic and uh, allegedly theological um, objections against Lutheran theology. And so uh, Gerhard here is kind of writing a response to Bellarmine's objections in this massive theological work. And here uh, Bellarmine is making the exact same sort of objection that we, we just mentioned, that there's no distinction between what we might call imputed righteousness and inherent righteousness, that those two things are one and the same. So Bellarmine's saying that God may declare it, but it has to be inside me or something like that? Exactly. That uh, when Christ's righteousness is imputed to you, uh, what comes along with that is a wiping out of, of sin. And that kind of naturally and by necessity brings about a sinless lifestyle. And so that's why you see uh, the medieval Roman Catholic Church tying uh, good works with salvation, or re- at least requiring your cooperation, is this lack of a distinction between inherent and infused righteousness. Yeah. And part of that was, as we said earlier, to prevent people from thinking, well, it doesn't matter how I live. Yes, that's and, right. And, you know, that, that, but I, I use the analogy... If you're walking down the street and you don't hear the car behind you, but your neighbor sees that you're going to get hit by the car and he runs and pushes you out of the way, but in the process he dies, but he saves your life. How do you then treat his wife and kids when you walk home from work in the future? You know, that that's kind of a very simple way and, and maybe a natural way to look at it. But I mean, but the Holy Spirit brings about regeneration in our hearts, our, our, our souls. Mm-hmm but also helps us to be appreciative of Christ laying down his life. That's right. That's right. And, and that's, mo- that's all. The motivation for good works is the gospel and, and, and God's spirit working in our hearts. Exactly. And that's ultimately what Gerhard is going to say here is that um, even though inherent righteousness isn't the same thing as imputed righteousness, it does follow it in a way. Uh, we're given Christ's imputed righteousness. Christ's merit is credited to us. And because of that, it renews us in a way and uh, allows us to do the good works that are required of us. Right. Yeah, we have, we, have, we have a new life in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So I'll go ahead and read this section, if read. you don't mind, Pastor. Please. So this, uh, the first quote is from Bellarmine, uh, arguing that the Bible doesn't make this distinction between imputed and inherent righteousness. But, says Bellarmine, On the basis of the non-imputation of sins, the apostle deduces the imputation of righteousness. In this way, he teaches the two cannot be separated, the remission of sins and the imputation of righteousness. And Gerhard responds, Remission of sins does not occur without a certain righteousness, because the judgment of God is according to truth. But that righteousness is not an inherent quality in us, but it is the righteousness acquired by the merit of Christ and granted us through imputation. Consequently, we by no means separate the remission of sins and the imputation of Christ's righteousness, 
But if Bellarmine takes righteousness to mean inherent righteousness, as he does, we say that inherent righteousness or the gift of renewal is also connected with justification. At the same time, however, it must be distinguished from the former because it is not a part of it, but only its result. So that's the biggest thing is confusing the result of our justification, which is good works with being part of the process of justification. That's really the sticking point. It seems cause and effect. Yep. Right. Um, our being children of God causes us to live life a bit differently because God's spirit dwells inside us. Right. When we have faith, we're given Christ's righteousness is declared to be ours. Right. And right, it does exactly. get confusing. But but whenever you start to depend on your own works for salvation or trust in yourself for salvation, then you're no longer trusting in Christ. Mm-hmm. It's 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 that simple. Right. Yeah. Yep. In whom That's in it. whom do you in whom do you trust for salvation? Right. Now, Pastor, if you don't mind, let me uh kind of suggest another potential Roman Catholic. Uh, objection to this view that we've just gone over sure um so some christians might say okay you have this idea of imputed righteousness god's righteousness is credited to you but that doesn't actually make you righteous you're just kind of borrowing from christ's righteousness right and so they might say something like okay well it seems to us that true righteousness inherent righteousness is what's required to enter into heaven because once we get to heaven um we're not going to be sinning right uh we agree that in heaven uh we live sinless lives and there's this kind of perfect harmony between us and god and us and uh, other people in heaven right and if you're still sinning that sort of harmony isn't possible And so they'll say something like, we need this inherent righteousness to enter into heaven because that's the sort of condition that heaven requires of us. You won't have perfect harmony without sinlessness. And inherent righteousness is about being sinless in yourself. How do we respond? So entrance into heaven, um, inherent sinlessness required of us, or we would say, no, it's, it's given to us. When we enter heaven, we are we are purified. Mm. Um, that so, and anything that's a requirement for our entrance into heaven has been taken care of by Jesus. When we get to heaven, there will be no more sin, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more discontent, not, none of the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. So that means that we will be, you know, like the holy angels without sin. But when we when we go to be in heaven when God declares us innocent when we're taken into heaven we are we are then purified mm-hmm. so you could say yeah we we have to have some sort of righteousness like it's an actual righteousness but see but that point you've already entered heaven <laughs> okay so it's not a requirement to enter heaven it's what you're given when you are in heaven based on the merits of Christ. That's actually a really important distinction. Yeah. It's, it's not that inherent righteousness is a condition for entrance into heaven. Uh, Because all that is taken care of 
by Christ's imputed righteousness. It's the chocolate on the pillow of the nice hotel. <laughs> You're already in the hotel, and oh look, there's a lovely piece of chocolate on the pillow. Okay, <laughs> it's not it's not that you had to bring the chocolate with you to get into the hotel. That's a good analogy. Yeah, but it's probably at some level heretical or something. I don't know. So <laughs> l- let me let me read a bit from uh, just one of our summary of Christian doctrine. Okay. The textbook that we use in our in our colleges to um, teach theology to people who are going to be teachers in our schools. Okay. Sounds good. So a couple points. One, a changed body. We ourselves shall be the same persons we now are, but we shall be changed. First Corinthians 15, that, that great resurrection chapter. We shall have spiritual bodies, not subject to the same needs and laws which now govern us. We shall have incorruptible bodies, free from all traces and consequences of sin. So there's your, the sinlessness, mm-hmm. which it, it's just a different way of phrasing it too, right? Right. We shall have strong bodies free from all frailties, weaknesses, defects, and deformities. We shall have immortal bodies which shall never die. We shall have glorious bodies clothed with beauty, perfection, honor, and glory. God shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. And a purified soul. As for the soul, the image of God will be fully restored. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, 1 John 3, and referencing also Psalm 17. As the image of God consists in blissful knowledge of God and in righteousness and true holiness, we shall then know even as we are known shall fully know God, his will, and his ways. We shall understand what now is still dark to us. All our questions, both with respect to certain mysteries of doctrine and to happenings in our personal lives, will be fully answered. 1 Corinthians 13. There will be no old Adam, no temptation to contend with, no sin, no sorrow, no grief. Revelation 21. There will be perfect righteousness and holiness. There will be no jarring discords and differences among the saints but the thoughts, desires, and actions of all will be in complete harmony with the will of God. There will be full satisfaction, perfect contentment, referencing Psalm 17, absolute security. Jesus said regarding the saints, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, John 10. There will be unspeakable joy and pleasure which no man shall take from us, John 16 and 1 Peter 1. The cause and source of all this bliss is God in whose presence we shall live, and whom we shall see as he is, referencing 1 John 3. So yes, we are purified when we're in heaven. Sin is gone. It's not a condition of entering heaven. It's a gift given to you because you are entering heaven through the shed blood of Christ. Right. And that's such an important distinction because in some ways it echoes the same uh, discussion we had on justification it takes the onus away from us and puts the work on God. So in like the medieval Roman Catholic view, you're sent to to purgatory to kind of work out all of the sins of this life, even though they've been forgiven from an eternal standpoint, you still have to work off the temporal effects of them and go through that process. And, and most people conceive of it as a very long and difficult process. Whereas on the view you just espoused, uh, it's something that God does for us. 
it's a renewal of our spirit and our body. And um, it's not something we have to work at ourselves in purgatory. It's a gift to receive the that image of God again. Right. Cleansed, renewed, refurbished, fixed up. Uh, if I may, a, a frame-off restoration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you get the reference, if you know, if you have an old car and you want to, to go to an auction, they'll say, well, it's a frame-off restoration. In other words, the whole thing was taken apart. Mm-hmm. And in essence, that's what happens to us. We're, we're broken down. Uh, our bodies are are buried, our spirits go, and we are we are purified. So it's a really interesting observation. Uh, in some sense, we agree with our brothers in Rome who say something has to happen between when we die and when we go to heaven to make us fit to be in heaven. But what that process is is very different. Right. right. We're fit for heaven because we have faith. Mm-hmm. We're fit for heaven because Christ, Christ's blood covers our sins. Right. Not that we have somehow gotten rid of the sin out of ourselves. And, uh, the, you know, it, my goodness, Jesus said, come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He did not say, come unto me, you who are a little bit worried and doubtful, and I'm going to add to your worry and doubt. Right. Okay. Right. That's, I mean, it's 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 literally throwing the switch. Mm-hmm. It's it's on off. Christ saves you. Mm-hmm. Not that yep. He gives you the energy to do the things you need to do in order to be saved. No, Christ simply picks you up, holds you in His arms, and carries you through the gates of heaven. And what peace is that for us? Uh, total right. peace. Total peace. There's another reference um, from the Formula of Concord addressing so Formula of Concord. We have our Book of Concord. We have our what we call our confessions, our statements of belief uh, compiled in 1580. And, and we, as pastors, ascribe to them and say, these are really true, good statements. I, I kind of look at it as like a big Bible study. Mm-hmm. That's simplifying it. These are, these are doctrinal theological works and, 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 and put into one, one volume. But basically, it's taking Scripture and expounding it and explaining it in a, in a very good way. And that these were the documents used uh, in, in the Reformation fight, if we could say. So let me just read a bit from the formula of Concord, the thorough declaration. In like manner too, in justification before God, faith relies neither upon contrition nor upon love or other virtues, but upon Christ alone. And in him, upon his complete obedience, by which he fulfilled the law for us, which obedience is imputed to believers for righteousness. Moreover, neither contrition nor love or any other virtue, but faith alone is the sole means and instrument by which and through which we can receive and accept the grace of God, the merits of Christ, and the forgiveness of sins, which are offered us in the promise of the gospel. Very comforting words. Indeed, indeed. So, uh, I don't know what's wrong, but, you know, we haven't pushed the edge of our time limit. <laughs> I know. We might actually end on time this evening. It's, yeah, but, you know, that, that would be a miracle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. You're so, right. why, you know, this, this whole idea of justification by grace through faith, the whole idea is to impress upon us and to impress upon our hearers that this is a gift. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 
if it were wages, then we'd have to work for it. That's different. It's not wages. It's a gift. And there's and there's one very important verse um, that uh, verse 20. Yeah, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So what's, what the law does, whether it's the natural law or the Mosaic law, whether it's, you know, uh, the law that's written in the hearts of, of, the, of, the, of the pagans or, or the Gentiles or however you want to phrase it, that law condemns. Right. It always accuses. We even have a cute Latin phrase, semper accusat. It always accuses the law. And, and, and whenever you have a cute Latin phrase, you know it's an important thing, right? <laughs> yeah, right. That, or if I remember the cute Latin phrase, you know it's an important thing. <laughs> yeah. the, the law, semper accusat, it always accuses. It doesn't show us the way to be saved. It doesn't help us to be saved. It doesn't give us a, a vehicle by which we can be saved or must be saved. No, it always accuses since through the law comes knowledge of sin. When we, when we think about the law, whether it's the natural law, the Mosaic law, the ceremonial law, the moral law, whatever law you want to talk about, it accuses us. Right. And what saves us? Our faith. Yeah. Verse 28 at the bottom of the screen. For we hold that one is justified, that is declared innocent. It's courtroom talk by faith apart from works of the law. Right. Okay. This is where it's important to keep that distinction between inherent righteousness and imputed righteousness in mind, because I think so many people let their lack of inherent righteousness uh, cast doubt on the reality of their imputed righteousness. And that that's one of the biggest things people fall into. Right. You get into this mindset that because I'm sinful, that God, can't possibly forgive me or god can't possibly love me right and and that that's that's terrible the mm-hmm. law is to show us one of the usages of the law is to show us that well we can't do it but it drives us to the foot of the cross right where we receive christ's blessing and forgiveness and right. and learn to not depend on ourselves it's humbling it is yeah. Yes, it you is. Cannot, you cannot do it. Well, you can't do it. I can't do it. No one can do it. There is no one righteous, no, not one. Right. And hence, and hence the gift, the wonderful gift. So relax in the gift. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy this wonderful blessing that Christ gives you as he bleeds and dies to cover your sins. Indeed. Okay. Good. Do you have All a right. colic to, to close us off with? That, uh, I do. I'll use the Reformation Day colic from Aramus today. Okay. Thank you. O Lord God, Heavenly Father, pour out, we implore you, your Holy Spirit upon your faithful people. Keep them steadfast in your grace and truth. Protect and comfort them in all temptation. Defend them against all enemies of your word. And bestow upon Christ's church militant your saving peace. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.